Good morning, Crossroads. How are we doing? What a great time of celebration and worship. You know, as we were singing that song, I, I couldn't help but to get out of my mind this, uh, this moment that happened just a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, my wife talked me into getting Angora rabbits. And if you know, one of our families in our church, Matt and Julie Petty, they own Alpaca Meadows, a beautiful place. I would recommend to go see the alpacas there. And they have a bunch of animals. And one of the things they do is they have Angora rabbits that you can purchase. And so my wife came to me and said, Dave, we need to get some rabbits. And I said, we don't need any more pets. And I said, what are you planning? Are we going to have rabbit stew? Is that the, the hope? Is What's the plan? And she's like, no, i got to have these things. They're so beautiful, and they're, they're kind of therapeutic when you pet them. They're so soft, and it's true. They're, they're just absolutely beautiful, cute little things. And so we set up this thing in our garage for these rabbits. And one morning, we went outside, and, and uh, we opened the garage door, and we noticed one of the rabbits gone, and we watched as it hopped its way at warp speed out of the garage. My wife began to run after this thing like she was chasing the Easter Bunny. The boys were in tow, and they went on an all-out search for this rabbit. As we were singing that, I couldn't help but to think about that reality. If we would chase rabbits, how much more does God love us? While we were still dead in trespasses and sin, it says, but God, who is rich in love, made us alive together in him. Think about the love of God, how amazing that is. We can't put words to it. It is ridiculous. It is humanly ridiculous to think that God would come to earth, die on a cross, walk out of a grave to rescue us. We who turned our back on him. You and I don't do that, right? Somebody turns our back on us, we're like, whatever, see ya, out of here. We turn our back right back, but God didn't. No, we reject him, and yet he comes after us with great love and mercy and grace and rescues us and draws us into a right relationship with them. What an amazing truth. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Um, what an amazing truth to live in. By the way, that's not the sermon. That's just a pre-sermon. But hey, before we dive in this morning, a couple of big things. This afternoon is our outdoor baptism. We are so excited. We have 70 people that are signed up to be baptized this afternoon. If you have not signed up and you have not taken that step to publicly declare your faith in Christ, and that's what baptism is. Baptism is a public declaration of your faith in Christ to say, I know Christ. Christ has rescued me. Uh, this is a chance for you to do that. Stop by Next Steps. We're going to be here celebrating with those who are taking that step of obedience to declare publicly their faith in Christ. So it's going to be a great time. Join us this afternoon. Secondly, uh, we had a fantastic launch to our Lexington Campus preview service last week. We, we planned a preview service to kind of work out the kinks. We had nearly 200 people at our Lexington campus last week. We're so thrilled by that. Uh, that was more than we expected to start out, and that isn't even opening it to the community yet. And so we're real excited about the impact that God wants us to make there in Lexington. And so uh, I just want to remind you, this journey, what this journey has been over the last two years and eight months, we, we began two years ago, actually, and, and next February will be three years, of, of this this campaign that we called Vision 2020. And it was a financial campaign, but was, it was much greater than a financial campaign. It was meant to be a stir of our hearts for a mission to reach into our region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was blown away as we launched that nearly three years ago, uh, how you responded and we responded as a church. And our plan was really threefold. We had three strategies. First of all, we wanted to pay off the mortgage of this, of this, this property. We believe that this holds us back and we wanted the freedom 
from that. Secondly, we believe that God was calling us to a city center in the hub of our city to reach the underserved and underprivileged and help encourage our community to be better. And then thirdly was a multi-venue campus is to grow larger by getting smaller. Now, I have to confess to you, we knew the city center was certainly something we should do right away. We knew the mortgage was something we wanted to pay off. We didn't know for sure whether the campuses were going to work out or what timing was that. We believed that God was going to lead us to strategic partnerships or strategic locations. We didn't go out seeking any of these. These were all moments of conversation that began to build in the opportunities that we have in Shelby and now in Lexington. And so we're so thankful. And I just want to say a big thank you for your faithfulness. I do want to remind you this campaign runs all the way through next February. And so we're, we're on the home stretch. Keep giving faithfully toward that. Clearly, we're going to fulfill all three of those strategies in the time that we plan. In fact, by the end of the year, we're going to celebrate the burning of the note of this building. Not the burning of this building, the burning of the note of this building. And we're going to celebrate being debt-free from this building. So it is happening. We're on schedule. But your faithfulness toward this home stretch is so important. And I want to say to you, if you're here and you've just joined in the Crossroads, you can still be a part of this campaign. You can still be a part of giving to this, whether it's monthly, whether it's, it's a one-time gift to say, we want to give to help fulfill the mission that God has called us to. And by the way, God didn't just call us. He's proven it with his faithfulness in providing for us these opportunities. And so if you want to give, there's, a, there's an envelope there. You can do it online. You can grab our app. You you can stop by next steps. They'll help you with that. We would love to have you be a part of that. Let's turn this morning together. Judges chapter six. Judges chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the seat back in front of you. If you turn with us to page 205, Judges chapter six. As you turn there, by the way, if you have the app, Crossroads app, you can go right to the app right now. There's a Bible on there. There's also the notes that you can fill in on our app and you can follow along with us. As you turn there, I want to say a big thing. This, this sermon has really been churning in my soul for months. I began the year by doing a study through the book of Judges and in my own personal devotions. And I got to this story and it just, it churned in me. It caught me. And I found myself in this story. I found myself in this story and, and saw the cycle of my own life in many of these words. And, and so as we've been planning out, as our teaching team plans out the teaching calendar, we got to this part of the summer. We said, you know what, let's have a moment, the summer series, where we're just going to hit kind of one-off things. It's not a real series. It's kind of one sermon here, one sermon there. They're not all connected. And this sermon was one I was so excited to get to. But I want to confess to you before we dive in. There is a lot that we're going to try to get through. We're going to walk through the story of this judge. And it is three chapters long, and I have a hard time going through three verses, and we're going to attempt to get through this. But as we dive in, I, I couldn't help but to think of this story. And this, this story in the scripture reminded me of this moment a few, a couple, maybe a year ago. Uh, I, in my house, I don't know what it's like in your house. In my house, I'm kind of the light sleeper. My wife is, is more of a deeper sleeper. And so whenever a, a crisis happens or a noise happens, I'm the one that hears it. And, and so in the middle of the night, if one of the boys is sick, when they were younger, they would come in. And they knew to come to my side of the bed because I was going to wake up quicker. And what I would do is wake up and go, what's wrong, buddy? And they'd say, Dad, I'm sick. And I'd go, hey, Mom, you need to wake up. They're sick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've been married for 22 years. I know better than that. Uh, I have tried it. It doesn't always work. But... But I, and if it's an emergency, of course, I can wake her up. And, and, but I'm a light sleeper, so when there's a noise, and part of it, I think, is my job as a protector. I take that very seriously. I protect my family. And, and if I hear a noise, I am up and ready to find out what it is. And you've ever had that happen where you hear a noise in the middle of the night, and immediately there's a bit of fear that grips you, and then there's a bit of courage that overtakes 
Well, I've had that happen on multiple occasions. Thankfully, I'm not really afraid that, that, that much because I, I took ninjutsu when I was younger. I consider myself a pink ninja. That's somewhat a joke. I have a pink ninja belt, actually. Um, but but it, as, as I remember a year ago, we had this moment. It was about 5 a.m., and I heard this noise like somebody was breaking into our house. There was kind of cr- cracking, and then I started to hear footsteps very slowly walking through our house. And I know our house, where the creeks are. I know what it's like. And so I started to hear these noises, and I woke up, and I was startled. And your mind begins to race. How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to confront this? And I, I, there was a bit of fear that over, 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 overtook me. And so I got up, and I, I knew that I had an advantage because I knew my house. And so I grabbed the closest thing I could, I have a baseball bat right there. Now I know some of you, I'm giving this secret away. And so if you want to come rob me, you're like, you're grabbing a baseball bat? I'm going to take you. No, no, I know how to use this thing, okay? And so I grab the baseball bat, and I make my way ever so tenderly out. I keep hearing the noise, and I'm like, somebody's coming in. Somebody's coming in. So I take my baseball bat, and I work around the room, and I see on the wall of our entryway a big shadow, a shadow of what looks like a pretty burly guy who who seems to be walking toward where I'm going. At this point, i got to be honest, I I was pain-stricken, and yet I was fired up, and I was ready to take out whoever it was. And I lean around the corner, and as I gaze, I lift the bat up, ready to take a swing once I get the look of the person. And I hear this voice yell out, Daddy, don't hit me. (laughs) Here to find out, my son Caleb had an early morning meeting at work, and I had no clue. And he was getting up to go, and I, I didn't expect him to be up that early. And so when I heard the noise, I thought somebody was breaking in. And can I tell you, I flipped the light on, and I never seen fear in his eyes like that moment. He was afraid. Pain, he was painstakingly afraid. Fear just crept over him. His face was white. And I made sure he knew that I could indeed take him out. You know, that little story as we're going to read here in the scripture, reminds me of a lot of our lives. Right? One moment, God calls us to something, and courage rises up in us. Yes, we're afraid, but you've ever heard the expression, courage is holding fear one more moment. And courage rises up, and we're ready to do whatever it is that God's asking us to do, whatever it is that God's pressing us into. For some of us, though, when it seems the pressures of life are caving us in, when it seems the surrounding circumstances are are at odds against us, when it seems like the walls of life are just pressing into us, we're overcome with fear, and fear paralyzes us so we don't do anything, we don't move. For some of us, just like my son, the pain of fear overtakes you, and you're just frozen in time, and you feel like you have no way out, and you just wish you had some courage just what you had, you had some boldness to get through. I don't know about you, but I've seen that in my own life at times. One minute, I'm like, God, help me. I can't do this. And the next moment, it's like, God, I'm good. I, I feel courageous. I'm ready to do whatever it is that you've called me to do. Can I tell you, this is the story. If you're facing moments where you feel there's no other resources, where you feel you're completely out of options, this story is for you. When you feel weak, this is a reminder. This story connects to this reminder of our lives. Now, before we dive in, a little background. This is the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is very unique because this was during an intermediary time where there was no king in Israel. There was no king. God was reigning, but it didn't really work where the people were following God because if you remember, when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, God told them as they came into the promised land that they were to wipe out all the enemies, but they didn't. No, they came to the land, and they allowed some of the enemies to remain, and what happened through the years is they began to become idol worshipers, 
And we find this disobedience happening. In fact, the book of Judges summarizes this season, this 400-year period, with this statement. Judges 21, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's called relative truth. You do whatever is right in your own eyes. It's whatever is true for you is true for you, and whatever is true for me is true for me. Does that sound familiar? We live in a culture of, of relative truth, in a culture that says, well, you can believe what you want to believe that's true, and I believe what I want to believe is true, and even if they contradict, we can both believe it. Now, I don't know about you, we're smart enough people to realize that doesn't work. If one thing is true and it contradicts another thing that we claim to be true, one of those has to be false. Two truths can't equally be true. They're either both wrong or one is wrong. And that's the world that they were living. They were doing right in their own eyes. And what this created was chaos politically, morally, religiously, socially, economically. It created chaos all throughout the land. And what we find in the book of Judges is this cycle of living. And I want to show you this cycle because this is exactly the book of Judges. And if you get this cycle, you can understand this book. We find that the people of God sin against God. And so God responds by judging them. And he judged them by sending a foreign enemy into the land to take them captive. Then they begin to cry out, God, help us, we're in captivity, deliver us. And God raises up, not a king, but a judge, a hero. A hero that delivers them based upon the goodness of God. This happens one time, and you would think, well, God delivers us, we should follow him. It happens twice. It happens, it happens over a 400-year period continually. It doesn't make them better. They continue in the same cycle. They sin against God. God judges them with a foreign enemy. They cry out to God. God delivers through a judge. This happens over and over and over again over 400 years. And that is the background, the backdrop of the story that we find in Judges chapter 6 with a man named Gideon. Gideon is actually the sixth judge in the cycle of Israel's history the sixth judge, and he, he isn't a, a king or a priest or a prophet. He, he is but a normal person like you and I. He's a farmer. We pick this story up, we find he's a farmer. And what we find is, is Gideon is living in a time where the Midianites were the enemy in control. The Midianites were a wicked enemy. They were, they were terrorizing Israel. They were stealing property and possessions from people. And so there was a lot of fear about the Midianites, the people that God had raised up. In fact, we find a summary statement in chapter 6, verse 6. It tells us about the Midianites. It says, and Israel was brought very low. Notice that word, very low, because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Notice, God brings them low through an enemy. They're now crying out to God for help. And God, as he always does faithfully, he responded to his people. Take a look with me, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 11. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Orphrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizurite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, 
How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. We pick up this story of Gideon, and very quickly, we see the posture of Gideon. We, we see the stance of Gideon. Notice verse 11, describing Gideon. It says, the angel of the Lord shows up at this, uh, under this, this terebinth and Orphra, and then it says that Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press, and notice the word, to hide it from the Midianites. If you like to underline, underline that word, hide. Gideon was hiding. He was hiding his work. He was hiding his job. He was hiding scared. In fact, notice the description. It says that he was beating out wheat in the wine press. Now, we would read that and skip over that, but if you understand beating out wheat, you understand wine presses, those two things don't go together. Why? Because when you would willow wheat, you would go to the top of the hill, you would toss the wheat in the air, the wind would blow the chaff, and the grain would fall. You would do it at the top of a hill so the wind would be a part of that. If you were going to have a wine press, you would usually do it underground or in a hut covered. Why? Because you wanted the wine to be preserved. You want it to be cold. You want it to be nice and fresh. And so we see the story that Gideon is hiding his work of willowing wheat, of beating wheat, and he's doing it underground. He's hiding it because he's afraid of the Midianites. We find him scared to death. By the way, I read this and I can't help but to think of my, uh, my kids when, uh, when they were younger, my father-in-law, uh, their grandfather, he, Allison's an only child, so these are his grandsons, and he's so proud of them, and uh, as he should be. And I remember when they were younger, uh, and my, my father-in-law, he's, he's a burly kind of guy. He's 260, 270. He was a, a weightlifter, and uh, as he's gotten older, you know, he's gotten a little bit slower, but he's, he's, man, he's a strong guy, 6'1", 6'2". He can bench press like 500 pounds. Uh, back in the day, okay, not that much, but someone like that. He's the type of guy that you look at and you know he could take one swat at your head and you'd die, you'd be on the ground. <laughs> and he would, I remember when he would, we would visit or we would be at his house, when the boys were younger, he would play this game where he would come around a corner and pretend to be a bear. Rah, you ever done that with your kids? And they would scream and run and hide and he would come find them. And it was just, it was so fun to watch him interact with the boys when they were younger in this way. When I read this story about Gideon, that's the image in my head. Here is Gideon, and he's doing his job, and he's cowering down. I, I got to hide from the enemy. The Midianites could see me, and they could come steal my property. I'm worried about what's taking place. Here's the point. If Gideon put a resume in to be a judge, if Gideon put a resume in to be a mighty warrior, you would not even give him an interview. This guy is nothing but a hero here. He's not anything but a hero. There's nothing impressive about him. He is afraid. And can I tell you, this is true of almost every character in the scripture. And this is point one. God uses difficult times to reveal our biggest fears. You know what I find often in the Bible is over and over again, these characters are overwhelmed with a fearful situation. And God uses difficult times to actually reveal what's happening in the heart. Isn't it true in our lives as well? 
God uses suffering, God uses difficulty, God uses sometimes difficult relationships, sometimes bad test reports in our health. God uses difficult work moments to get our attention and really to reveal where our fears lie. God does this over and over again throughout the Bible. He doesn't go to the strongest, he goes to the weakest and reveals their fears. Why? Because God wants to then use people that are dependent upon him, not people that think they've got it all together. And so he reveals our fears. Here we find God coming and revealing in the moment of fear, coming to Gideon. He doesn't choose a mighty warrior. He chooses a fearful person, and he allows that fear to grip him. Our inadequacy is important because in our inadequacy, we then turn and get dependency upon God. And so he comes to Gideon in the weakest moment. Notice what happened next. It says, verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I don't know about you, I read this and I chuckle. Gideon was not a mighty man of valor. But God comes to him and says, I am with you, O mighty man of valor. This is point two. God calls him out because God sees us differently than we actually see ourselves. God sees us differently than the way we see ourselves. God comes to him and calls him out and says, Almighty man of valor. And here's the point. Here's what God is doing here. Don't miss this. God is speaking to him what God is going to make in him. He is not a mighty man of valor. He is not a powerful man. He is a weak, cowardly man. And God is speaking to him what God is making of him. God doesn't come because he's courageous. God comes at him because he's going to make him courageous. God doesn't come to the bold. God actually comes and makes us bold. God doesn't come to us because we have anything to offer. God comes to us because he knows the potential that he's going to bring in us. That's the image of Gideon. God sees something differently than we see in ourselves. Now, I want you to notice this. Notice Gideon doesn't even respond to the calling of being a mighty man of valor. Notice Gideon knows this is like a joke. He doesn't even mention it. In fact, notice what Gideon responds to, verse 13. And Gideon said, please, sir, if the Lord is with us. Stop there. If you'd like to underline, underline that word if. If you go through the three chapters of Gideon, you're going to find this word if repeated over and over again. It's going to question God. God, if is, this is true. God, if you will do this. God, if you've done this. He's questioning God here. Notice that word if. He says, if, if you're with us, why then has all this happened to us? Now, just a few minutes ago, we talked about the, the judges' cycle, the cycle of the judges. God's not doing this to them. They're doing it to themselves, aren't they? I mean, this statement is actually a lie. Well, if you're with us, why are we going through this? You're going through this because you're sin, right? You're, you're sinning. And so the picture of this is he's questioning God in a falsehood. God hasn't left them. God hasn't forsaken them. God hasn't abandoned them. They've moved from God. God has remained the same. And by the way, this is true in our lives. God never moves. God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whenever we feel like God isn't there, it's not because he's not there. It's because our experience is telling us he's not there. But he's there. He's at work. And so he says, well, if, if you're with this God, why are we going through this? Well, God is present in this moment. Notice what he says next. He asks another question. He says, and where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? Now, this is, I think, a bit humorous. Who was standing in front of Gideon at this moment? The text tells us it was an angel, an angel of the Lord. 
we're going to actually find out it was God himself. Many scholars believe this was called a Christophany, where Jesus actually shows up in the Old Testament, not fully in physical form, but in a fashion or form. God shows up. This is actually God. And he says, what about all the wonderful deeds that happened back in Egypt? There's an angel standing right before him. I mean, the wonderful deed is right there. God showed up and spoke to Gideon. He doesn't get it yet, but God is indeed at work. See, this is another lie. And by the way, this is true in our lives. When we begin to walk in, in cowardice, when we begin to walk in fear, there can begin to be the lies that come out about who we are. See, I just can't. I'm not good enough. God, God just God can't use me. God can't get me out of this. I just can't help but to sin. I can't help but to live this way. We begin to believe the lies. And by the way, isn't, doesn't the New Testament tell us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren? This is what Satan does, is he lies to us about who we are. He lies to us and makes us realize or see ourselves differently than the way God sees us. That's why all throughout the New Testament, God speaks to us what he's going to make out of us. He comes and says to us, you're a saint. None of us feel like saints, do we? He comes to us and says, you are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. None of us are like Jesus yet, but we're going to be conformed to the image of his son. He comes to us and says, you've been predestined to be glorified. None of us are glorified yet, but he calls us what he's going to make us. Why? So that we walk in obedience. We walk not in fear, but in faith. So here is Gideon, and he's believing the lies. And God is speaking to him. God is saying, I'm, I'm going to make you brave. You're not brave yet, but I'm going to make you brave. Now, I love here God's response. Notice it. So Gideon asked these questions, and God doesn't strike him down for it. Verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And then he says, Lord, I'm of the least of the clan of Manasseh. I'm the least of them. In verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians as one man. Notice verse 14. It says the Lord turns to him. I love this because if I was God in this moment and I show up in form and Gideon doesn't receive the word, I would have been like, forget you, man, next man up. Forget you, bring me another guy. I'll go get another one. Gideon, you are a coward. Forget you. You're not even listening. I'm with you. Notice he says it three times. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you, almighty man of valor. That should have caused confidence to rise. God, I'm with, God is saying, I'm with you, but he doesn't. But God doesn't cast them aside. See, what God does is God reinforces his priorities with his presence. This is number three. God reinforces his priorities with his presence. God is saying, listen, if I have a priority for you to do, I have something for you to accomplish, I want you to know that my presence is with you. I am with you. And can I tell you this morning, as we read and launch into the New Testament, what we find is something greater than God being with us. Greater than God being with us. God was with Abraham, God was with David, God was with Moses, God was with Solomon, God was with Isaiah. God says, I'm with you. Jeremiah, we get to the New Testament, God says to his disciples, I am with you. And then we come to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And you know what it says? It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God isn't just with us. God is in us through the Holy Spirit. We don't only have God with us, we as Christians have God in us through the presence of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We have something far greater than Moses, far greater than Abraham, far greater than Gideon. God in us, the hope of glory. God here reinforces his priorities by saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. My presence, I'm not asking you to do something without me being there. 
I'm asking your obedience in spite of it. Now, as we follow through the story, Gideon says, let me test this. I want you to show me a sign. This is often, right? We ask God, give me a sign. Gideon's going to do this on multiple occasions. The sign is, I'm going to make a meal. And what happens is Gideon begins to make a meal. And, and God says, take the staff of that meal. And I want you to, to reach your staff down. And what God does is he takes the staff and lights it on, on fire and cooks the meal. And it's a miraculous moment. In fact, we pick up the story and we find Gideon responding to this awesome moment. Verse 22, it says, after this, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Gideon finally realizes this isn't just an angel. This is the angel of the Lord. And Gideon says, alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the, and then he says, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You're not going to die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord of Peace. And to this day it still stands at Orphrah, which belongs to the Abizarites. Notice, God does this miraculous sign, and Gideon finally, finally realizes it's God, and God says, don't be afraid, I'm not going to kill you. Now can I tell you, as I read this story, I found comfort in that. How did I, why did I feel comfort in that? Because isn't it true that God could strike us dead right now? Like, God could, could wipe us out. I mean, I'm deserving of being wiped out today. But God doesn't. The fact that you and I woke up this morning with breath is a reminder of God's presence in our lives. That God still has work to do on us, and God is still at work through us. The fact that we woke up and he didn't strike us dead. So here's Gideon. He sees God face to face. The Old Testament says, if you see God, you're going to die. And God says, have peace. Have peace. You're not going to die. I'm with you. I'm with you. Here is God coming over and over again, saying, my presence is with you. The story then goes that God is going to ask Gideon to do one small task before he goes into battle. And he's going to ask him not to go into battle against a foreign enemy yet. He's going to ask him to take one small step to demonstrate his faithfulness. We, we pick up the story in verse 25, and we see it here. It's, it's pretty powerful. It says, that night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old. By the way, that's called the breeding bull. That's the bull they would use to breed. And pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took men, 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. Now we got, we got Gideon in motion here. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So what just happened? God says, okay, I've got one small task first. I want you to go to your father's house and I want you to tear down all the idols. I want you to tear them down. I want you to kill the bulls that would be breeded to sacrifice. So what God is saying is I want you to finish the sacrifice. No more sacrificing to these false gods. Remember, they then fell into idol worship through the nations that would come and take them over. And he says, I want you to go break it down. Now, you and I know this, right, in life. Isn't it true that sometimes dealing with family situations are harder than facing a foreign enemy? The first step that God takes Gideon on is to say, go to your backyard and deal with what you see. Go to the backyard and fix what's in your father's house. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of what you see. Take this small step before I'm going to send you against a foreign enemy. Here's the point. Number four, faithfulness today is a condition of usefulness tomorrow. 
What we find all throughout the Bible is if I am faithful today, God is now working in me the condition of usefulness tomorrow. If I'm not willing to be faithful today, I can never get to the obedience I need to have for tomorrow. Gideon is proof of this. By the way, many characters in the Bible are proof of this. For, for many of us, we are still facing battles of situations that we didn't deal with yesterday. Isn't it true? Many of us are still facing situations where God called us into obedience and we didn't take it yesterday and we're living with the consequences today. And in life, what we see is this cycle that my faithfulness today actually leads to usefulness tomorrow. I say this to our team all the time here. This is a little principle that I try to live by. There's a principle that we see throughout the Bible called good, faithful, fruitful. And we talk about this. We, we say, listen, if we're good and faithful in this season, there will be fruit born the next season. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, what happens if we die? Well, that's it, right? If I'm good and faithful in this season, what does the Bible say? Well, in the next season in eternity, there is kingdom rewards. There's always this good, faithful, fruitful. By the way, I don't have to convince you of that if you're a farmer. You plant crops today, you water them today, what happens? There's fruit in the next season. Our faithfulness today leads to usefulness tomorrow. If you want to be useful in your life tomorrow, what small step are you willing to take today? If you want to have a good marriage tomorrow, what step are you willing to take today? If you want your kids to follow Christ tomorrow, what step are you going to take today? If you, you want to make sure you're a witness in the workplace, what steps are you going to make today? Right? Every usefulness tomorrow starts today. And that's Gideon. Gideon, God calls Gideon to go tumble the, the idols in his own backyard first before sending him out to defeat a foreign army. Faithfulness today is a condition of usefulness tomorrow. Now, Gideon has not finished the process yet. In fact, he's going to come to God and use that what if statement again. He's still afraid. Notice verse 36. It says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, notice if, if you will save Israel by my hand, by the way, notice it says, as you said, God spoke it. Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and if there is dew on the fleece alone and dry on all the ground, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger be kindled against me. Let me speak one more time. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Here is Gideon coming to God once again and saying, God, will you prove yourself? I'm not convinced. You're calling me to defeat the enemy. You and I use this terminology, don't we? We use this terminology, we're laying out our fleece. In this story, it's not a good thing. He's questioning God. He's saying, God, will you really keep your word? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to lay out the fleece, and I want you to only have the dew be on the fleece and let all the other ground be dry. That would be a miracle. And then he comes to God and says, God, I know you did that, but I need one more, one more piece of confidence. I'm going to flip this story around, and I want you to make the, the, the fleece dry and all the ground wet with dew. And God does that. Now, as I'm reading this, I'm reminded this is point five. God is patient in our faith process. If I was God at this point, I would have said, I've shown up in person to you. I struck fire out of the staff that you held and cooked a meal. I had you tear down the idols of your father and you're still alive. 
how much more do I do for you, Gideon? Yet God, God is patient in the faith process. God isn't there trying to strike us down. God is building faith in us. God is working that process patiently. We see all throughout the Bible, he is long-suffering. He is patient. He, he is, he's, he's an enduring God with us. Here, I would have said, done, Gideon. I've given you three strikes. But he doesn't. He responds by saying, okay, I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you once again. This is exactly what I've called you to do. Now, God is going to take this one step further. I don't have time to dig into it, but I want to tell you the quick story of what happens in chapter 7. Because what happens at the end of chapter 6 is he gathers all the army together. All the army together. And they get people from every corner of Israel. And they're ready to go to battle. He asks God these questions. Hey, make sure, confirm this. Lay out the fleece. Are you sure you're going to be in this, God? And then we come to chapter 7. And God comes to Gideon and he tests him one more time. He says, Gideon, I've got a task for you. We've got to narrow down the army. There are 22,000. It's too many men. It's too many men. And so he comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to go to the men and I want you to say to the military warriors, I want you to say to them, if you're afraid and you're shaking and trembling, you can go home. And so he goes to the men and he says, how many of you are afraid? Go home. Do you know 12,000 of the 22 go home? How would you like that for your army? 22,000 and 12,000 say, I'm scared, I'm going home. So 12,000 go home. God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, it's not enough. I, I want you to know this is going to be my battle. I want you to know that I'm going to get the glory through this. And so I need you to do one more thing. I need you to take the 10,000 remaining men and I want you to take them down to the river. And when you get down to the river, I'm going to ask, I'm going to let you, have you give them a drink. Get, get them a drink. Let them have a drink. They're going to be men. They're going to get down on all fours. And if they get down on all fours and they, they lap the water like a dog, so they dip down and they, they slurp it up, send them home. But if they lean down and they reach their hand in the water and they stir the water up to their mouth, those are the men that you want to have. So Gideon does it. He goes down to the river, 10,000 men, and he observes how they drink. Do you know that 9,700 of them slurp it like a dog? 300 of them actually reached their hand in the water to drink it. Now you might say, why did God ask this? I actually believe it's a military uh, strategy. Why? Because when men reach down, what are they looking out for? They're looking out for the enemy. When you lean down like a dog, you're not looking out for the enemy. And so these men that lean down, 300 of them slurp it in their hand, and God says, those are the men. They go into battle with 300 men, but they don't go into battle with swords. If you read the story, God says, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a trumpet, and I want to give you a, a glass-empty jar, and I want you to go into battle with those two things. Now, if you're a gun person, you might think, well, that's great. Just fill the empty jar with gunpowder and throw it like a bomb. It'll be great. No, it's empty. In fact, they're supposed to put it over a torch, and what happens at a certain moment, they blow the trumpet, throw down the empty jars, they crashes everywhere, and they held the torch. And what happened is, as a result of this moment, many scholars believe the Mennonites saw what looked like tens of thousands of military men because of the glass jars and the fire. They scatter in fear. And Gideon is left with victory. Glass jars and trumpets. Now, I want to pick up the end of the story. Here is cowardly Gideon. And now let's see at the end of the story. Take a look at chapter 8, and we'll begin in verse 22. It says, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. So Gideon has gone from coward to hero. Verse 23. 
Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So Gideon is making a good posture here. God is going to rule over you. But Gideon says, let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me the earrings from the spoil. So they've gathered gold from the spoil and jewelry. For they had golden earrings because the, the Midianites were actually Ishmaelites. And because they, were, because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak and every man threw down the jewelry of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings, the golden jewelry, was 1,700 shekels. That's 11 grams of gold each, each shekel of gold besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon, here it is, and Gideon made an ephod. An ephod is a gold plate of the priest. Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all of Israel whored after it. They desired it. They lusted after it. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Go down to verse 30. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring. For his own, had many, he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. Now, as we come to the end of the story, here's what I want you to see. In the beginning, cowardly. At the end, Gideon, we want you to rule over us. And Gideon says, no, no, the Lord rules over you, but I'll be like a priest. I'm going to gather the jewelry together. I'm going to melt it down, and we're going to make an ephod. This was the outer gold plate of the priestly garments, and we're going to make an ephod, and I'm going to put it at my house, and you can come see it all the time. What did Gideon do? Gideon made himself a statue, basically. And he says, now you can come look at it, and it says that Israel began to desire it. They began to whore over. They wanted it. It's the word that they, they desired it. And they would come see it. And it became a snare to Gideon. And then it says this. And you and I would read over this in our English. And we would say, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. It says he had a son. And notice of the 70 sons, this is the one son that this story points out to us. And he names his son Abimelech. Now you might say, well, what, what, whoop de do. That's great. It's a weird name. Do you know what Abimelech means? It means my father is king. By the way, men, great name for your sons. I wish I'd read this story before I had one of my four boys. I would have named one of them Abimelech. Why? Because every time you say his name, it means his father is king. And I would have said, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> this man in the beginning was hiding, doing his job. He comes, God comes to him and says, oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, not me. I'm the least in the clan of Manasseh. God, if you say you're going to do this, I don't know if I trust you. Here's the fleece. I don't know if I can really trust you. And at the end of the story, he makes a golden ephod. He puts it in the city so everybody would come visit him. And he names his son, I am the king. Here's the point and last point this morning. We must guard against moving from dependency upon God to self-sufficiency. Can, can I tell you that I see this as a cycle in my own life where, where I go from a moment of saying, God, I don't know if I'm enough. I don't know if I'm able. I don't know if I have the strength. I don't know if I'm able to do what you're asking me to do. I don't know if I'm the guy. And all of a sudden, God then works. He gives courage. He gives boldness. He works in my soul. And then all of a sudden, at the end, I'm like, God, I've got this. I've got this. I'm good with you. I know what you can do. I've got it figured out. And what happens is we begin to live in this cycle from dependency upon God to self-sufficiency in us. 
God, I need you. God, I've got it. God, I need you. God, I've got it. And every time a circumstance comes and we say, God, I need you, and God gives us breakthrough, and then we say, God, I don't need you right now. I'm okay. I've got this figured out. Everything is peachy keen. It's going smooth. And this cycle is death for us. This cycle limits us. And here we find Gideon living out this cycle, and it says it's a snare to him. He was weak. God gave him strength, and then he took all the credit. You know, there, maybe there are some of you here this morning, and you're looking at your life, and you're saying, God can't use me. God can't use me. I don't have much to offer God. And what Gideon reminds us is God isn't looking at your pedigree. God isn't looking at your, at your ability. God is not looking at your performance. God is looking at the potential he brings into your life through his goodness and faithfulness so that you take no control and no credit. There are some of you here, you're living in self-sufficiency and you're like, God, I got, I got my life. I don't really need you right now. We might not say that, but we live that way. And Gideon reminds us we better be careful because that will become a snare to us and we'll find ourselves in a desperate situation tomorrow where we're going to cry out to God, that God is faithful enough to empty my hands of my self-sufficiency so that I have to stir into dependency. I, I say this to myself all the time. God, you, you, will, you will empty my hands so that only you remain every time so that I'm dependent upon you. Where are you at on the spectrum? Are you dependent? Are you self-sufficient? Are you dependent on Christ? You know, the hero of the story here isn't Gideon. The hero of the story was God, right? Gideon was nobody. And the hero in our story isn't us. The hero in our story is Jesus. Jesus, who came to earth, the hero of the story, who came to earth for us, made his presence known, just like Gideon had the presence of God come to him. He went, God then goes to a cross and dies. He who is adequate and sufficient goes in strength to the cross, endures the cross, but doesn't just endure the cross because you and I could have hung on a cross. Every criminal did in that day. But he took our sin upon himself. Only he could have been adequate for that. And three days later, he walks out of the grave to prove victory. That victory given to us, but isn't ours. That victory we live in, but we didn't gain. So that we are dependent upon him and live in courage and boldness, but always in submission. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? We're going to pray and then we're going to end with this song that's a reminder of God's faithfulness to us. Maybe you're here this morning and and you, 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 you're, you don't know Christ, and you're living your life in self-sufficiency, could today be the day you release your hands and say, God, open my eyes, open my hearts, and maybe God right now is, is at work in your heart, at work in your soul, and he wants to do a work of salvation in you. Maybe today's that day. He doesn't need your pedigree or performance. He's God enough to save you. You might be here this morning, you know Christ, but, but you're, living, you're living in cowardice. You're living in fear, you're living chained by your own self and God is saying, listen, I'm with you I'm not only with you, I'm in you be bold, be courageous, do what I'm asking, do it today your, your, your faithfulness today will lead to usefulness tomorrow do it today there's some of you, maybe you're living in self-sufficiency and you're like, God, I'm okay yeah, I'll go through the motions, but I'm good can I tell you, God will empty your hands he will empty your hands to lead you to dependency God will use difficult times to demonstrate his, our fear because we don't all have it so that we rely on him all the more. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I need this reminder, God, to find myself in this cycle so often where one moment I'm like, God, I'm not enough, I can't do it. And the next moment I'm like, God, I've got it. 
God, I pray you'll rid us of the cycle and may we constantly lean into you with dependence. Lord, may we lean into you. Thank you for being patient with us in the process of faith. Thank you for being uh, patient with us and giving us usefulness, although we're not worthy of it. Thank you for using us for your kingdom and glory's sake. God, do that work in us. Thank you, Jesus, for being our hero, for going to a cross for us, for bringing us life, for bringing us what we can never have in ourselves, life eternal, and now giving us the courage to live out a life of faith, not fear. So God, may the change release and may you lead us courageously, all in your name, Jesus. Our, not our name, not our victory, but your victory, Christ. Amen. Let's sing this song together.